This is the Ellis Martin Report. When you hear us mention companies doing any kind of business, there's a large probability, if not a certainty, that the Ellis Martin Report is compensated for that mention. If you can't afford to potentially lose your investment, don't risk it. We make no personal recommendations about any sponsor on this program. Here's an idea. Subscribe to the Ellis Martin Report. It's easy and it's free. Visit us at ellismartinreport.com. And now, here's Ellis Martin. Join me for a conversation with Keith Henderson, CEO of Latin Metals Incorporated, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange as LMS and in the U.S. on the OTC as LMSQF. Latin Metals is a mineral exploration company acquiring a diversified portfolio of assets in South America, primarily Argentina and Peru. The company operates with a prospect generator model focusing on the acquisition of prospective exploration properties at minimum cost, completing initial evaluation through cost-effective exploration to establish drill targets, and ultimately securing joint venture partners to fund drilling and advanced exploration. Shareholders gain exposure to the upside of a significant discovery without the dilution associated with funding the highest-risk drill-based exploration. Latin Metals has recently concluded deals to option out exploration properties to a wholly-owned subsidiary of Anglo Gold Ashanti, a wholly-owned subsidiary of Barrick Gold Corporation, and Libero Copper. Keith, welcome back to the program. It's great to visit with you today. Yeah, thanks very much, Ellis. Nice to see you again. You have just expanded your copper portfolio. Tell us about the Solario Copper Project in Argentina. We had the idea last year, or rather I should specifically say that our exploration manager had the idea that there could be potential for sedimentary hosted copper in Salta province in Argentina. And this was a brand new idea. No one had ever really come up with it before. And so we staked a project called Mirador, which we announced in the early part of this year in January. We also announced at that time that having acquired that property, we'd been out in, into the field and we'd taken a look and we'd basically come up with exactly what we were looking for. So we were able to find exactly the right kind of host rock with about two and a half percent copper in it. And that was really important proof of concept for us to say, yeah, this model is valid and we can go out there and look for this type of deposit in this area. We like this kind of deposit specifically because when you find one of these, they tend to be pretty big and they tend to be good grade, which means that with those two things in your mind, they're very, very suitable for major mining partners. And acquiring major mining partners is essentially what we're doing when we look for a new property. So we think this has got really big potential to be joint ventured with a bigger company. And so the announcement today for the acquisition of Solario is basically an extension of what we found in Mirador. We've gone beyond the boundaries of Mirador. We've taken another 170,000 hectares and we have staked it and we now hold it 100%, which is just fantastic. So all of this is 100% owned. It's a really, really big land position. It's really what I would call a big company land position. This is covering a substantial part of Salta. No one's ever looked for it before. We really got that kind of first mover advantage in this area. And so off we go. Uh, we go and do some exploration now and see what we can come up with. Expanding your copper portfolio is a very, very wise decision. In the crunch for the electrification of the planet, you've got a large position in Argentina, you're expanding it, you know the terrain, what's your next step? Next step in these copper projects is basically to get on the ground and do a very, very large scale stream sediment survey. That will basically tell us where 
the hotspots are, where we should focus our efforts in terms of doing more advanced exploration and which are the targets that we can really hope to develop. You're working with some significant major companies in Argentina and Peru. Are they involved in your development program or are you self-financed in that regard? These particular copper projects that we've acquired are going to be self-financed for now. This is the stage in our business when we try to increase the value of the property, minimal exploration, and we make it as attractive as we possibly can before we get it shipped out to a major company partner. Our other copper portfolio in Argentina is the Esperanza project, which is a much more advanced project. And that one's already with a partner. And we're hoping that that one's going to be drilled this year. It's a significant copper porphyry posit, I think I would call it. Be careful about terminology. I don't want to oversell it, but I don't want to undersell it. This was one of the really good discoveries that we made as an issuer before we kind of moved into the prospect generator model. And we drilled this in 2018. And when we drilled it, it was the third best copper intersection in 2018 among all exploration companies in the world, which was a fact that was lost on a lot of people, I think. But the intersection that we got from surface was almost 400 meters at 0.57% copper and 0.27 grams gold. So really quite a significant intersection. That's the kind of existing deposit. It's going to be drilled. We hope for very positive results out of that. The flip side of that is now this huge land position that we have for sedimentary hosted copper. And as we get through this year and develop targets for that, we would hope that we'll get a partner by the end of the year. And this will also become the focus of some drill testing during 2024. So we're always cycling, always building the pipeline of project and always trying to expand what we're doing within the country. Give us an overview of the share structure of the company. I believe you're trading at about 10 or 12 cents right now, whether it's on the venture exchange or the OTC. What are we looking at? And we've got about 70 million shares issued and outstanding, and we do everything we can to keep that as tight as we possibly can and, and not to dilute the position. We've got about 50% of that sitting with management and board. And so when we do go out to finance from time to time, usually 50% of the finance is taken by management and board. We always like to mean in our position. The other 50% of those financings, you know, we've got kind of a core group of shareholders who generally like to participate. And so our financing process is usually relatively simple and straightforward, and it happens pretty quickly. Got a pretty small float. We estimate that the float in the company is around 18, 19 million shares. Well, the prospects potentially for upside are really, really nice with a stock that's at 10 or 12 cents with a float of around 18 million shares or so, but that's entirely up to the investor. It's not our call to make. We are both biased. Keith, it's certainly a pleasure to visit with you. Thank you so much for joining me today in the program. Lovely. Thanks very much indeed. Talk soon. I've been speaking with Keith Henderson, CEO of Latin Metals Incorporated, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange as LMS and in the U.S. on the OTC as LMSQF. Go to the company's website, latin-metals.com. I'm Ellis Martin. Would you like to be one of the first to see who we are following? Subscribe to our audio newsletter. It's free. EllisMartinReport.com. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with Claudia Tornquist, President and CEO of Kodiak Copper Corporation, trading as KDK on the TSX Venture Exchange, KDKCF in the U.S., and 5DD1 in Frankfurt. Kodiak Copper's most advanced asset is the MPD Copper Gold Porphyry Project in the prolific Hazenel Trough in southern British Columbia, Canada, where in 2020 the company made a high-grade discovery at the Gate Zone, which is part of a zone copper gold enriched envelope of significant size. Kodiak also holds the Mojave Copper Molybdenum Silver Porphyry Project in Arizona, near the world-class Baghdad mine. 
Both of Kodiak's porphyry projects have been historically drilled and present known mineral discoveries with the potential to hold large-scale deposits. The company's chairman is Chris Taylor, the CEO of sister company, prolific in the gold space, Great Bear Resources. Ms. Tornquist is formerly general manager Rio Tinto, working with their copper and diamond operations. She also held the position of Executive Vice President of Business Development for the streaming company Sandstorm Gold. She's a director of Silver One Resources and former director of Kennedy Diamonds, leading the $176 million sale of the company to Mountain Province. Claudia, welcome to the program. It's great to visit with you today. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here, Ellis. What does it mean when you say you are a carbon neutral exploration company? Look, it's our aim to be responsible and sustainable in our exploration work. And this is part of that strategy. We added up all our greenhouse gas emissions for the year 2022 and then bought offsets for those and also started initiatives to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions over time. By buying these offsets from the Great Bear Rainforest Carbon Project, We are now in a position that we can say we are carbon neutral, and I'm quite proud of that. Well, congratulations. And as a shareholder, I'm certainly glad that you're doing it as a company. Now, tell me more about the Great Bear Forest Carbon Project. What is that? Well, that's a forest management project up in British Columbia. And that's actually the largest intact coastal temperate rainforest in the world. It is the carbon project managed and run by the First Nations in the area. And it's all about managing the forest responsibly, i.e. not just seeing it as an economic source of lumber, but balancing ecological objectives such as biodiversity, etc. So it's all about a balanced approach and the carbon offsets finance essentially a better management of that forest and hence the forest is able to absorb more carbon emissions. Which is the best way to keep the air clean and there's a reason why they call it beautiful British Columbia. Tell me all about copper. What's happening with Kodiak Copper? Kodiak is very busy drilling. We have a large drill program of 25,000 meters ongoing. We mobilized in March, so we've been at it now for two months. And it's a very exciting and somewhat pivotal year for the company because for the first time, we will not spend the majority of our drill meterage on the gate zone, our initial discovery. But this year really is about taking the approach that led to the high-grade discovery at gate and testing several other targets. We have four or five on the list for drilling for this year with the aim to discover the next and the next high-grade zone and really demonstrating the size potential of the MPD project. When do you think we might see some news in that regard? We'll have an update and the next batch of drill results relatively soon, coming up in June. So a couple of weeks out, not very long. What I like to see is a company that has a relatively tight but liquid structure. And that is, for all that you've done, that is Kodiak Copper. Yeah, we've only 63 million shares outstanding, so are relatively tightly held. And we're also financed for all of this year's work. So that's a great place to be. So it's an exciting year. We're financed, we're drilling, and we'll have results coming soon and then throughout the year. And as I said, this year is not about anything incremental. It's really about finding the next and the next gate zone. So it's a very exciting year. Claudia, it is always great to visit with you. I look forward to chatting with you about those drill results when you have them. Thanks so much for joining me today in the program. Thank you. 
I've been speaking with Claudia Tornquist, President and CEO of Kodiak Copper Corporation, trading as KDK on the TSX Venture Exchange, KDKCF in the U.S., and 5DD1 in Frankfurt. Find the complete story on the company's website, KodiakCopperCorp.com. I'm Ellis Martin. Would you like to be one of the first to see who we are following? Subscribe to our audio newsletter. It's free. EllisMartinReport.com. Join me now for a conversation with Jordan Trimble, the President and Chief Executive Officer of Sky Harbor Resources, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol SYH and in the U.S. on the OTCQB as SYHBF. Sky Harbor is a preeminent uranium and thorium exploration company with projects located in the prolific Athabasca Basin of Saskatchewan, Canada. The company has just secured an option to acquire an initial 51% and up to 100% of the Russell Lake Uranium Project from Rio Tinto in the Athabasca with some of the most high-grade uranium targets in the world. You know, I've been looking at the equities today, actually, and there's been quite a downturn all across the board. I don't think anybody's really talking about it. Us in the business are noticing it. We can't not notice it. And yet, at the same time, the price of uranium in the last few months alone gone up about 10 bucks, and yet the equities are not reflecting that. In fact, I think there's a wide gap between the issuers, the small caps, the junior mining companies, and the price of the commodity itself. It's just huge. And to me, I'm smelling some sort of jack-in-the-box effect down the road. What do you think? Yeah, the disconnect between the metal price, uranium price, and the mining equities is notable right now. It's about as extreme as I've seen it in a long time, where uranium price has slowly but surely been grinding higher to mid-50s, about 54 to $55 a pound, and yet the equities have stalled out. Now, this isn't totally unprecedented. We did see a similar situation in the mid-2000s where the uranium price was moving higher. The thesis was intact. I think that's an important note is that the uranium thesis, the reason to be bullish on this commodity moving higher as it is, is very much as strong and intact as it's ever been. But the equities have stalled out as we've been talking about with the broader market. There's no question there's some broader market weakness and it's been quite anemic. And obviously the uranium equities haven't been stared from that. But you know, again, that's the value proposition and with our insiders buying and with other industry participants, the sophisticated monies coming into the market here, recognizing this kind of deep value proposition right now. I do think, as we saw in the mid-2000s, I do think there's a major re-rate potential coming as we see this uranium price continue to tick higher. I think once the generalist capital wakes up to this opportunity in the uranium sector, especially given the disconnect between the commodity price right now and the underlying equities, I think there's an incredible opportunity there. And just getting back to some of the recent developments and fundamentals that are driving this move higher in the uranium price. We've had a very significant start to the year in terms of new contracting and new contracting volumes. And as you and I have talked about this is a key thing to look out for with the uranium market as we've seen well over 100 million pounds in contracting volume already this year. Last year, there was about just over 120 million pounds of contracted material. And a few years before that, between call it seven to 100 million pounds. Now, the replacement
replacement rate, which is about 180 million pounds, it looks like we're going to hit that this year potentially and exceed that. And if you look at previous years where that number is hit or there's even more material contracted, that typically corresponds to a fairly significant move higher in the uranium price as utilities are storing up long-term material for their reactor requirements. So that's one thing that is worth watching this year. We've also seen, you know, the geopolitical nature of this commodity and some of the issues that we've seen globally really kind of start to have an impact on the market, starting with sanctions, U.S. sanctions on Russian nuclear fuel and uranium really starting to make some headway. Looks like there's a bill that is going to pass here that will basically ban Russian uranium and Russian nuclear fuel products from 2028 onwards, unless it's absolutely necessary for a U.S. Western utility to purchase or get material from Russia. But that's good progress there. And obviously, as we talked about in the past, that'll have a significant impact on Western utilities and particularly U.S. utilities and where they source their material from. They'll have to start buying it from Western producers and suppliers. And then we've also seen this recent G7 announcement whereby most of the G7 member nations have formed a nuclear alliance with really two objectives, one being to promote and help foster a better nuclear industry in the West, but also to carve out Russia from the nuclear industry. And Russia really very much does have a stranglehold on the the nuclear fuel cycle, whether it be primary uranium mine production or even more so in the enrichment and conversion market. So we are seeing that start to really kind of materialize. And again, this will be beneficial for Western uranium companies, explorers, developers, and producers. And then just a couple last things to touch on here. We are seeing some new physical holding companies coming to the market to add to what the Sprott Physical Uranium Trust and Yellow Cake have done over the last few years in that they've sequestered tens of millions of pounds of uranium. They, they've helped drive a higher uranium price. And as we see some of these new physical holding companies come to market, I suspect that'll even further tighten up the market and lead to higher uranium prices. And one last interesting note is just the increase in venture capital that's come into the nuclear industry over the last decade or so. So from 2015 to 2021, there was a 3,600% increase by dollar value in VC investments into new, into new nuclear technologies. And I think that that's kind of quietly a big talking point as we saw very much an anemic venture capital participation in this industry, the nuclear industry after Fukushima. And to see it increase that much in recent years is noteworthy. I think that that just shows the sentiments obviously improving. There's new money and innovation coming into the space, and that'll ultimately help with growing demand for uranium as the fuel. I think you're banking on that as a company with your project generator model, having so much land in the Athabasca and adding partner companies to your portfolio. You're counting on the surge in interest in the sector, more money coming into it. Absolutely. I mean, we're as strong a believer in the thesis for uranium and the bull case for uranium as we've ever been. And you're seeing that play out, at least with the metal price moving higher. And I still think there's a lot of runway from the mid 50s here. So it's an exciting time to be involved and participating in this industry. We've talked at length about our strategy as exploration and prospect generator business today with the announcement at South Falcon. We've announced our eighth partner company coming into offshore. 
construction, our South Falcon project, which is adjacent to our South Falcon East project, which we announced an option agreement on earlier this year. The deal today that we announced is with a company called North Shore. It's run by a very capable and reputable management group. So we're very excited to be teaming up with them. And they have the option to earn an initial 80% for just over half a million in cash just over 1.2 million in shares being issued. That's dollar value of shares being issued. And in addition to that, just over three and a half million in exploration expenditures over a three-year period. Now they do have a further option to buy out the remaining 20% at that point for 10 million in cash and in stock. So in total, assuming that they complete the 100% purchase of the project, it would be total project consideration of just over 15 million in cash stock and in exploration expenditures. So a great deal all around. Like I said, we're, we're very pleased with the new partner. They're just completing a qualifying transaction into a CPC. And so once that's complete and they've raised some money, the deal will officially be completed. And at that point, we do expect that there will be some exploration, even potentially some drilling this year. The great thing with this project and the adjacent South Falcon East project, which is host to the Fraser Lakes Zone B deposit is that the project is permitted. So we are expecting both Tisdale, who has the option at South Falcon East and uh, North Shore, who's got the option here at South Falcon. We're expecting both companies will be carrying out exploration and drill programs in the next 12 months. So that'll just add to the steady news flow that we have coming out. And just to recap some of the other option partners and JV partnerships that we have. As in court has completed a drill program at the East Preston project with assays pending. So expecting some news shortly on that. And then we still have several other earn-in option partners, including Madero Mining at our Yurkison project. We are expecting they'll be carrying out a drill program later this year at Yurkison. Basin Uranium Corp at the Man Lake project. We are expecting additional exploration drilling likely later this year or in the new year from them. And then as I just pointed out and just talked about Tisdale and North Shore at the South Falcon and South Falcon East project. So again, a lot of news flow from exploration, multiple irons in the fire and a great complement to our main focus, which again remains at Russell Lake with the ongoing 10,000 meter drill program over several phases. We're just starting the next phase of drilling. This will take us right through into June. And again, assays pending from that program. So there'll be lots of news flow from all the drilling there over the coming months. And we're very excited with the progress and what we're seeing there. So uh, keep an eye out for news flow as well from our main projects, in addition to the exploration news flow from our partner-funded projects. Jordan, you've been extremely busy. Actually, I don't know how you do it because we're always talking about something brand new when we speak. What is the total dollar amount of all these partnership deals and all these option agreements that you have? Yeah, it's a great question. So we've now signed option agreements over the last, call it six years, six and a half years, that total to over 85 million in total project consideration. So that consists of about 38 million in exploration expenditures funded by these various partner companies, over 20 million potentially coming in in cash payments. 
and over $28 million worth of stock being issued to Sky Harbor by these partner companies. Now, that's assuming that all of these partner companies complete their earnings to the full amount that they can complete them to. Again, several of them are staged, so they have the choice of earning in a majority, but there's a couple whereby they can increase that ownership to a larger majority or even buy us out at 100%. So assuming that they all complete their respective earnings, it's about $85 million in total project consideration. And some of the recent acquisitions that we've made, we, we continue to add inventory, add new projects uh, to our project portfolio in the Athabasca Basin that we can then look to bring in new partner companies on and, and look to transact on. And just as a recap, we have now one of the largest by acreage land positions in northern Saskatchewan in the Athabasca Basin with over half a million hectares of mineral tenure that we have interest in. And that's over 24 projects in northern Saskatchewan. So a dominant land package in the highest grade jurisdiction uranium in the world. And in my opinion, your share price does not reflect the value of all those assets and the dollar amount that you just reviewed. I've been speaking with Jordan Trimble, the president and CEO of Sky Harbor Resources, trading as SYH on the TSX Venture Exchange and the U.S. on the OTCQB as SYHBF. The following segment of the Yellow Smart Report is sponsored by Mag Silver, trading on the New York Stock Exchange and the Toronto Stock Exchange under the symbol MAG. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with Henry Weingart, Managing Director of the Astrologers Fund Incorporated. The Astrologers Fund employs astrology as the primary analysis tool to manage investment funds and advise institutional investors and money managers worldwide. Today, you'll find me with Henry at the Tudor Steakhouse, not far from the UN in New York City. Henry, welcome back to the program. Thanks so much for having me here at the Tudor Steakhouse in my hometown of New York City. We're delighted to be here, and it's our favorite restaurant in New York. Now, the last time we spoke, Henry, which was about three or four weeks ago, you were talking about a yellow alert, an orange alert, a red alert, maybe a black swan event. And you know what? I just haven't seen it, Henry. You haven't been paying attention to the news, have you? You didn't know there was a banking crisis, the worst since 2008. And if the government hadn't come in and did some illegal things by insuring everybody, the market would have totally collapsed. However, there was a second time, obviously, in May when we talked about them raising rates. And they're going to do it again in June. I'd look at the surprise in your face, but not only were we correct about them raising it before, but they're going to raise it again. What is inflation? Is it 5%? Is it 8%? Yes, it may be going down, but it's not going down everywhere. So we're still under that. The markets are going to be coming down. And our basic call was that sell in May or sell before May and that markets will be way down by the end of the second quarter. So we have plenty of time and we're still under yellow alert. So the markets are getting there and the news is not particularly good. Okay, I hear you. I just think personally that raising the rates again would not be a really good indicator at a time when we're, most people are saying it. I'm not saying it, but most people are saying it that we're in a recession. I agree, we're certainly in a recession, but what's about inflation? Do you want to be like Argentina and have 100% inflation? Do you want to be like Turkey and have 70% inflation? Yes, but we haven't experienced the pain. There is some pain, obviously, if you look at things in some of the areas, such as in banking, such as in commercial real estate, which, by the way, is not hit yet. Someone was telling me one of the buildings that was bought for $300 million a few years ago was just resold for $60 million, and they're not sure whether they overpaid or underpaid. Let's get into the banking crisis a little bit, as you say. Will 
will there be more failures in your opinion? What is the Astrologers Fund, which you are the director of? What are the stars telling you right now? The stars are telling us from our banking experts that nobody knows what's going to happen to the local banks because it depends on what the government does. So we do have a banking choice, which is the one we're looking at will be Citibank, which is undervalued. But we're not doing it yet until it's clear what the government does. And are they going to raise it from 250 to a million? Are they going to cover everybody? But obviously the regional banks are in trouble. Do you know that we had 14,000 banks, say, 10 years ago? We have 4,000 now. How many do you think are underwater if we mark to market of the 4,000? Take a guess. Half? Yes, exactly half. Good guess. 2,000 of them are technically underwater. But Henry, can they really compete? Let's look at market economics for a while. Can these regional banks really compete with, let's say, Bank of America, with J.P. Morgan Chase, with Wells Fargo? Is their business model outdated? No, because we need them because they are dealing with small business, unless you want to eliminate all small businesses. The problem is we have to deal with the safe. And I think the easiest thing, if I were in charge, is I would make a million dollars insurance from 250, which was done a long time ago. And very very few people have more than $2 million cash in the bank, and the rest should be in insured money market funds. If you're a business, you don't leave it in cash. You put it in insurance with insured money market funds, and then we're covered, and the crisis is over. So this banking crisis, as we've put it with the regional banks, it's perpetuated each time there's a story. When you have a choice, whether you want to open up an account with a regional bank or with a bank like Wells Fargo again or Chase, and there's many, many branches, where are you going to go for safety in this uncertain environment right now in your mind? It depends how much money I'm putting in the bank. The rest is in insured money markets. I'd have it in my brokerage and have separate insurance. I don't keep $2 million in checking accounts that are uninsured. We are here under the auspices today at the Tudor Steakhouse of mining companies presenting. You foster these wonderful lunches from time to time. I'm only able to attend a few because I'm on the other coast and the subject matter is primarily metals and mining. There must be a lot of opportunity in the sector right now. Even with the sell in May and go away strategy, I would think that that would be the time to really take a look at making some picks May, June, July, August when the market is potentially suppressed. If you're investing for 2024, yes. The problem is this. Basically, yeah, there are many opportunities. There is deep value in many mining and metal stocks if, if you have good ones. But you may have to wait until next year. If we're talking May 2024 and you're buying now, almost all the good ones will be higher. But many of them much higher. If you're talking short term when the hits the fan, excuse the language, they're going to be wiped out as people are forced to sell. We believe we're going to see a retest of the October lows and probably a breaking of the October lows. They'll be selling out. But are there good companies? A better example is in biotech. Many biotechs are down 90%. And yet we know some biotechs that have gone up 10 times in the last four months. That's true with mining stocks. If you have a good expiration stock and it hits, it's going to go up five times, 10 times, three times. And if you have a period that you're willing to wait over a year, yes, it's a good time to buy. And what we're do is suggest stepping in, not necessarily buying whole hog in. Yes, if you don't have any exposure, we have exposure. But if you don't have exposure, it's a good time, I agree with you, to start, but not to be fully in. You've got to have powder clear for when the hits the fan. This is very interesting, especially when I'm here attending a variety of conferences in New York, including yours, and I'm feeling a particular buzz about gold right now, specifically about gold. And at some point, everybody's saying there's going to be some sort of parabolic spike now those aren't sustainable, but yet they do happen. And I would think taking some of that powder and deploying it now, which in your opinion may be too soon, but not for 2024, deploying it now in companies with fantastic teams that have proven success in the past would be a, a good thing to do with maybe 10% of your liquid assets. I agree, but we're already invested in them.
<laughs> We've held them for a while. So you were talking about fresh investments. If you don't have any exposure, absolutely have exposure now. I agree with that. But we already have exposure. The issue is this. In our view, the value of gold currently is about 1948, and yet it's trading $100 higher. However, it is trading as a crisis metal, which its value is 2200 And if you want to think of it as a stable coin, which they're working on, it's, it's over 2500 But we could certainly drop down to 1900 But let's assume we even do. There are many companies today that represent deep value that are in production, and those companies are just minting money. They're being ignored, but they're minting money, just like it was with oil companies last year, which we were very bullish on, and just see the profitability. So it depends on the company. I certainly agree you should have some exposure now. I'm not saying go to 100% cash. That's insane. You could never time it that perfectly. Even we couldn't. But you certainly should have some exposure in the metal space, some of it in the expiration, some of it in development. Again, it depends on how aggressive your portfolio is. Whether Is it a conservative portfolio that is protecting assets, or is it an aggressive portfolio that wants to create wealth? It's a different approach. That's strictly up to you, the listener and the investor. Pick your poison or pick your potentially fantastic investment down the road. You've been talking about 2024, but there's one caveat to that that sticks out in my head. It's an election year. Aren't people just going to wait until after the election before they make their big choices? No, because I think the eclipse that's coming in 2024, which is in the spring and the summer there, will push the market up. Remember, the powers that be always try to have the markets up into the election. They don't always succeed. But so, no, that would be too long. We're just simply waiting for the market to break 3,600 S&Ps. Hopefully around 3,300, 3,200 will be buying, but we'll be long short. We don't believe in just being long. To be just long in markets is like fighting somebody with one hand tied behind your back. We believe in being long and short, but that's a little difficult for the average investor. So we suggest being cautious. Whatever your normal cash levels are, make them twice. If they're normally 5%, make them 10. If they're normally 10, make them 20. Have cash available. So if you remember where it was two, three years ago when the markets were real bargains, if you were able to buy, then you were fine. But if you're margined out and you don't have abilities and you're going to get margin calls, then you really have to watch it. We're in la-la land. We're going into recession. It hasn't started. It actually, it is starting. That's how you want to look at it. It has started, but effectively, it's going to get a lot worse for a lot of people. Now, some people are going to benefit. We talk about it in recession, not recession. It's the wrong way to look at markets. There are four things happening at all given times. The percentage of companies that are in recession, declining, the ones that are in great distress or bankrupt, the companies that are doing well, and the companies that are super profitable. There are companies making lots of money, just like they did during COVID. Most companies had great issues, but some companies, like some of the biotechs, made incredible amount of money. So you want to be concerned about inflation, but you want to benefit from it. Same thing with recession. You want to benefit. There are people I know who made lots of money in 2008 in real estate. Not the people who were stuck, but the people who bought. You should be ready. It may be a little too early, say, for commercial real estate, but it's something you want to look at. And you want to look at other areas as well. It's not that only. It's a stock picker's market. Index funds are not going to do as well. And in your case, when you're talking about gold and silver, good gold and silver stocks will well outperform gold and silver, even if they go up 10, 20%, because they'll double if you're picking the right type of stock. Some of which I see you, you present here. I was just going to ask you about gold with respect to inflation, if you will. Mm-hmm. Now, gold has done well if you want to look back 10, 20, 30, 40 years. Yeah. It's performed. However, an ounce of gold does not reflect, in my opinion, the severe inflation that has been going on on a regular basis right now. The most upside I see is in the equities if the commodity is doing well as well. But I don't think the metals are reflecting the kind of inflation that we're seeing here in the U.S., which, in my opinion, having traveled around the world lately, is very severe. To give you an example, and I know you have one for me, I bought a croissant today, this morning, for $5. I can get the same croissant in Europe pretty much anywhere for one and a half euros or one and a half dollars approximately, or in England for almost $2. I think it's pretty bad in this country, and I don't believe the price of gold reflects that. Well, we agree that gold is a good 
investment. It was about 1823 January 1. It's about $200 higher now. So that's doing well. And I agree with you that good stocks are a better way to deal with it. When we talk about inflation, remember, Argentina is basically 100%, much worse. And I think we discussed earlier, but we'll put it on the air now. If you know about pedicabs in Central Park, do you have any idea what they charged last year to tourists? I'm going to guess around $2 a mile or something like that. Well, basically, they charge $4.95 a minute. That's $300 an hour. You may want to think about changing your careers. That was last year. Now, guess what they're charging. I'm just going to throw a number out there. $7? Well, some of them are charging $7.95. Some of them are charging $2. And some of them are now fixed rate. If I want to go a certain place, this is what it costs you. And that's what we're seeing in the market. Look what happened to eggs. Look what's happening now to olive oil. So the problem is the U.S. dollar is being dethroned. It's still going to be the major player. But at least 20 to 25% of current secondary countries are going to be going outside the dollar that were the dollar. So it's getting weaker, which means we're going to have more inflation here. That We agree with that, especially in a global environment. We're doing a lot of self-destructive things. So I agree gold is a good area. Certainly certain you should have some. And I agree that good gold stocks are a better place to be in. And you should be looking at them and having some exposure. All right, let's talk about silver and more specifically the sponsor of this particular segment, Mag Silver. Let's talk about silver as an investment. Well, silver, first of all, we like, especially for next year, but silver has two components. One is as money, and the other is as an economic metal. Since we're going, silver usage is growing. There's a big silver deficit, but we're going into recession, so that's going to keep it dampened somewhat until next year. It's basically worth about 2650. It's currently trading about 25, so it's trading close to value. The company that you're mentioning, Mag Silver, is our desert island pick. If I only had one stock in the metal space and I wanted to not look at the market for a whole year and come back next year in May, I think it will be 50 to 100% higher. It's trading anywhere in the 13 to $15 range. He'll explain to you they have great fundamentals. They have great exploration for it. As I said, it's our desert island pick. So if you only had one, and by the way, I recommend having five, <laughs> not just one, but if you only had one, it would be Mag Silver. Well, it's quite an accolade. And to be clear, Max Silver is the sponsor of our program today, so we are somewhat biased, but I believe that your fundamentals hold water. We've been recommending it since the beginning of the year, said between 13 and 15. If you look at our website, which I'd recommend, our YouTube thing, we made it our Desert Island pick then. Well, Henry, it's always great to see you. Thanks again for inviting me to this event. I look forward to our regular conversations on the program. Yes, absolutely. And remember, be cautious. Things are going to get more difficult in the markets. Be prepared. I've been speaking with Henry Weingart, Managing Director of the Astrologers Fund, Incorporated. Find the Astrologers Fund online at afund.com. That's afund.com. The preceding segment has been sponsored by Mag Silver. Trading on the New York Stock Exchange and the Toronto Stock Exchange as MAG. Mag Silver Corp. is a Canadian exploration and development company focused on becoming a top-tier primary silver mining company by exploring and advancing high-grade district-scale silver-dominant projects in the Americas. Their principal focus and asset is the Juanacipio property being developed in joint venture partnership with Fresnillo PLC. Juanacipio is located at the Fresnillo Silver Trend in Mexico the world's premier silver mining camp. The company is currently developing the surface and underground infrastructure on the property to support a 4,000 ton per day mining operation. With the operational expertise of their JV partner Fresnillo, Max Silver has an aggressive exploration program in place targeting multiple highly prospective targets across the property. Joining us now is the president and CEO of Mag Silver, George Paspalis. Mr. Paspalis joined Mag in October 2013 
Formerly, Mr. Paspalis was the president and chief executive officer of Horizon Mines, chief operating officer of Silver Standard Resources, and president and chief executive officer of Placer Dome Africa, among many operational and project development roles with Placer Dome. During his career, Mr. Paspalis has been responsible for constructing and operating complex open pit and underground mines in South Africa, Tanzania, Australia, South America, and Canada. George, welcome to the program. It's great to visit with you today. Thank you, Alice. Pleasure to be here. Now, you're certainly not a new company. You've been around for quite some time, but let's just say you're new to our audience and many of our listeners. Give us an overview of Mag Silver, if you don't mind. Oh, sure. My pleasure. You're right. We IPO'd in 2003 with a property called Juanacipio in Mexico. Our chief exploration officer, Peter McGaw, was a founder of the company, along with four other gentlemen, and we came onto this property with a different geological theory to what was espoused in the past, and we had the discovery of the Juanacipio vein on hole number one. Pretty infrequent that that happens in the exploration game. It's a high capital risk area of the mining business, and I think it just goes to our technical ability as a company now to be able to have a different geological approach and turn that into success. Juanacipio was the first discovery. We then found the Valdecanes vein. And in 2015, we determined that that is a very unique geological feature. Every geologist that goes to school and comes out wants to find the source. They want to know where did the metals come from to mineralize near the surface where you can mine them. At Valdecanes, we found a source, a fluid upwelling zone, and that's enabled us to enjoy a very well endowed our vein system, more than one structure, possibly one of the larger and certainly one of the highest grade silver deposits in the world, which we are now through a commissioning stage and we're ramping up the plant to become one of the largest silver producers in the world. That's called the Juanacipio Project. We're a joint venture with Fresneo PLC, who is the world's largest primary silver producer. They've been operating in this area for over 140 years. In fact, the Valdecanes vein, which is the heart of the system, goes across the joint venture boundary, becomes the Sacito mine, which has been one of the world's largest silver producers for a number of years. We've got the good end of that system because we're at the fluid upwelling zone. So we have a great future at MAG. We enjoy a robust margin, extraordinarily long life. And as much as there's a lot of focus now about MAG coming into production, we're going to be a high margin mine. We're going to make good cash flow. We are silver focused. 75% of our revenue from Valdecanes comes from silver. Mag Silver is a silver company. But the real thing here, Ellis, is that discovery hole number one, Valdecanes discovery hole number 15, we've only explored 5% of the footprint of the joint venture ground. And based on what we've learned in understanding this fluid upwelling zone, we believe, along with our partner Fresneo, who agree now, we believe that there are probably one or two, we're hoping more, but let's just say one or two more upwelling zones on the property. And so we have applications in process now for exploration of those two target areas. And we are really looking forward to be able to become a self-funded company with good cash flow from Juanacipio that can satisfy exploration, sustaining capital at Juanacipio, but also allow us to grow the company. Our strategy is to grow with what we do best, which is exploration. And we have 
two properties that are early stage exploration, I'd call them. One is Deer Trail, which is in Utah, and the other is Larder, which is in Ontario. Now, both of these other exploration opportunities, I think, represent a unique opportunity for investors in MAG. You invest in MAG, you're investing in one CPO, the cash flow from one CPO, but you're also investing in the potential for significant value creation with a discovery at both Deer Trail and Larder. Deer Trail is a very interesting story. We have been the first people in nearly a century to combine all of the fragmented land holdings that sit over this area called the Deer Trail Mountain and surrounds, which shows pervasive alteration. There's been a historical mine here, silver mine producing 465 grams per tonne silver, a little bit of gold, good lead, good zinc grades. And a lot of the exploration in the past has been haphazard because there's been different owners all over the property. But around the Deer Trail mine, a lot of the exploration has been focused near mine. Here comes Mag with a different geological theory, with a theory that that historical Deer Trail mine is actually fugitive mineralization, mineralization that has escaped through some small faults through a seal in the earth, a shale cap. And what people think is the mineralized area of deer trail, the old deer trail mine, we believe is the tip of the iceberg. And so we've started a deep drilling process there. And we've had two drill programs that we've released. We've had a discovery of a new zone called Carissa. And what is sort of very exciting for us in MAG, and I hope exciting for investors, deer trail represents Bingham Canyon lookalike. Bingham Canyon is one of the world's greatest porphyries to the north of us, operated by Rio. Bingham Canyon is one of two man-made structures on the surface of the earth you can see from outer space. Now, everyone in recent times knows of Bingham Canyon as this massive porphyry copper. Prior to that, 80 years ago, 100 years ago, people at Bingham were mining high-grade silver mantos that sort of shot off the hub of the porphyry. And we call this a hub and spoke model. And our main focus at Deer Trail is to find these spokes. We believe the Deer Trail mine and then the mineralization below that represents one of the spokes. We think this new discovery we've released this year, Carissa, is another spoke. Look, we're doing 1.2 800-metre step-outs from where we've hit mineralization and we continue to hit mineralization. So this is one of these massive systems, smoke everywhere, and our objective here is to find the fire because we think the fire here is going to be pretty hot and it's going to be great because it's going to enable us us to bolt on a second asset that gives us some geographical diversity from Mexico for sure, but more importantly, gets us off being a single asset company. And I think that's really important. This year, we're intending to actually drill the hub. We have three potential porphyry targets. Now, we're not about exploring and developing porphyries. That's for other people. We want high-grade silver mantos, but understanding the porphyries, bookends our geological model. It tells us a lot technically. It confines a space of where we need to look to find the large silver deposits. And maybe it represents an opportunity for partnering down the track for someone who may want to develop a porphyry. And that gives us a lot of balance sheet flexibility should we get 
get down that road. So, Ellis, watch the air trail. We're excited about it. It's a unique opportunity to be able to explore something so with such high potential on a regional basis. Every hole we've drilled, we've had success. So excited about that, but we're equally excited about the Larder project that we purchased last year in Ontario, in Canada, on the Larder Cadillac Break. Absolute prolific gold-producing district historically. And we have a eight-kilometre stretch of that break where the previous owner and people before have really struggled with financing to have the appropriate exploration programs to explore this property to its greatest potential. What that means in English is they haven't had enough money to drill deep. It's known in this area of the Abitibi, Canada, the Cadillac Lada break, you have to drill below 500 metres to hit decent grade. Neighbouring us is the Kerr-Addison mine. Over 10 million ounces of gold have been produced there. 10.5 gram per tonne gold. What we currently have at Lada is some near-surface deposits, 1.3, 1.4 grams per tonne. We're only interested in that from a pure technical basis of what does it tell us about what's below, and we're now starting some deep drill programs there. So we're surrounded by Agnico Eagle. There's lots of majors in the area. It's the where you want to be in gold in Canada. And yeah, we're excited about that one too. So that's the future for us. It's to bed in, stabilise the Wanasipio operation, optimise it, utilise cash flow from that to fund what we need to do with our exploration properties. We anticipate with maturity of the cash flow coming out of Wanasipio, we would really like to reward our shareholders because we've had really good, loyal shareholders for a number of years that have stood by us as we've explored and then developed Wanasipio into a cash flowing situation. So it's my personal view and my desire to give the shareholders some beer money. They deserve a drink. And let's see how we can move the needle now with significant discoveries at Deer Trail and Lada. Well, thank you for that, George. You've certainly answered probably 99% of my questions before I could even voice them. So congratulations for a thorough overview of your company. And I understand fully why some analysts have given you a buy rating of about twice of what you're trading at right now. And that is certainly quite significant. And I'm guessing that they're basing that only on Juanisipio without even considering all the other assets that you mentioned. And since you've just explored 5% of your total footprint right now, I imagine that there's just really potentially an indefinite mine life. Well, there is. And look, I mean, even within the Valdecones system, we haven't updated our resources since 2017. It's significantly longer mine life already. There's a number of cross-cutting structures that aren't even in a geological model. So I think the analysts understand that there's upside at MAG. I think reference to our current trading position, Ellis, you bring up a good point. As we were about to start up the plant early this year, we were looking at our balance sheet. We were getting reasonably low we're anticipating cash flow but you never know how these startups go and then we're ramping up it's a plant that sat there for a year waiting for the power to get connected so it's out in the mexican sun and the mexican dust and there was risk here and so we chose to do an equity raise to give us some insurance on the balance sheet call it sort of protection capital just in case something went wrong we didn't want to then have to go to the market when something was known to be wrong because it would have been extraordinarily punitive. Unfortunately, we surprised the market and the investors 
didn't take kindly to that. We have traded down significantly, right? Down 25, 30%, which I can put another hat on and say, here's a great buying opportunity because I think our current share price, I'm sure every CEO you talk to will tell you their current share price doesn't represent the true value. I'm not like that. I think MAG has traded at fair valuations in the past, but where we currently are, I think the market's unsure about Wine Scipio. Why did you raise money? They saw a cash injection in the first quarter, which was to pay some taxes and some lease fees and this residual capital around from the wrap up of construction and all that stuff. So I think come into the second half of this year, I think MAG will be restored. I think we'll start to trade at a more realistic valuation, which means that's a positive delta from where we are here. So that's a way of saying there's a good time to buy. It's been great meeting you today here. I look forward to further discussions in the future. Thank you so much for joining me today in the program. Pleasure, Ellis. Anytime. Have a great day. I've been speaking with George Paspalis, the president and CEO of Mag Silvercore, trading as MAG on the New York Stock Exchange and the Toronto Stock Exchange. Go to the company's website, magsilver.com. I'm Ellis Martin. Would you like to be one of the first to see who we are following? Subscribe to our audio newsletter. It's free. EllisMartinReport.com. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with Adam Smith, co-founder and vice president of business development for Oroco Resource Corp., a public mineral exploration company trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol OCO and in the U.S. on the OTCQB market under the symbol ORRCF. Oroco is focused on the development of a large copper deposit in the Santo Tomas project in coastal northwest Mexico. Santo Tomas hosts a multi-billion pound copper resource defined by historical drilling and currently being confirmed by ongoing exploration drilling by Oroco. Copper mineralization at Santo Tomas is located at surface and therefore potentially amenable to low-cost mining methods. It's very well located with respect to the infrastructure that's essential to a large mining operation and Mexico is among the world's top mining jurisdictions with laws and trade agreements that protect the rights of mining companies. Since commencing exploration and resource definition at Santo Tomas three years ago, Oroco has made a series of rapid advances and the year ahead is rich with catalysts such as a formal resource definition and economic evaluation, each of which carries the possibility of a company valuation re-rating. These milestones will be achieved against the backdrop of a positive forecast for the price of copper, possibly to historical highs as a result of dramatic shifts in metals importance to industrial and consumer markets. Adam, welcome back to the program. It is fantastic to visit with you today. Thank you, Ellis. Adam, bring us up to date on copper and Oroco specifically. There's a lot happening in the world of copper. There's a lot happening in the world of copper exploration. Significantly for us, copper M&A, major mining companies buying copper assets. And as that progresses and as the understanding of future copper needs progresses, M&A is just getting busier and is at a point in time where those acquisitions should start to look at companies like ourselves. But first, I'd like to talk about a news release that Oroco recently issued. We announced a copper resource utilizing the 76 drill holes that we've completed in the last two years together with a number of drill holes drilled prior to our tenure on the property. And Oroco announced a maiden resource for the Santa Tomas copper deposit in northwest Mexico containing over a billion tons of ore with a collective eight and a half billion pounds, that's billion pounds of copper recoverable. At today's copper price, the in-situ metal value at Santa Tomas is approximately $33 billion. 
So we announced a very significant resource, a very big copper asset at a time when the world's investors are going to be focusing more and more on copper. That is an astounding number, Adam, that I've not heard in my ears at all. Well, I think it highlights the nature of these types of deposits, these so-called porphyry copper, large, lowish grade or lower grade disseminated ore bodies that can contain tens of billions of pounds of copper. They're the source of most of the world's 200 to $250 billion of annual copper sales and production, and they can be very, very large businesses. So porphyry copper deposits are the large assets owned by the world's biggest mining companies. They can be in production for decades. In fact, in some cases, they can be in production for a century or more, as is the case with many large porphyry copper deposits today. Porphyry copper deposits can generate tens of billions in revenue. They can do so over generations, multiple decades. They can do so over multiple commodity price cycles, and they're the real generators of income for the world's biggest copper companies. They're significantly different than a lot of the types of mineral deposits that junior mining companies explore for. For instance, at $33 billion of contained metal value in Santa Tomas, so porphyry copper deposits are the tier one assets in the mining industry. They're ones that major mining companies seek to develop and discover. They're increasingly becoming more difficult to discover. Pipeline of such projects to be put in production to meet our future copper need is at historic lows. And so for Oroco to announce this resource at this time is very significant. And it's a very significant achievement for Oroco to have done this in the last two years, to develop the infrastructure on site, to have hired the crew of doing this kind of program and to have completed almost 50,000 meters of drilling in 76 holes in two years is an accomplishment. So a shout out to our crew in Northwest Mexico and uh, congratulations and thank you to them. Well, certainly I've been following the company for over 16 years and this is quite an accomplishment. And sometimes it takes a while to develop something that really positions you for Something that you alluded to a few minutes ago, an M&A, whether or not you do it now, whether or not you do it during the next five or 10 years, something of this nature, something of this size is certainly going to wake a lot of people up. And in that note, the last two years were really the major years in, in putting this project forth. What's the next step here? Yeah, the last two years have been very, very important. I think they've taken Santa Tomas from a known occurrence of a copper porphyry to one now defined under current mineral reporting standards. That's a very, very important transition. But to take a project like Santa Tomas from discovery to production, it's increasingly difficult with higher standards imposed on mining companies, longer permitting processes. A copper occurrence in Santa Tomas was discovered in the 1960s. It was drilled between the 1970s, 80s, and 90s, and almost 30 years after its discovery, was the first mineral resource reported at Santa Tomas. And then it took another 20 years to get to the stage where we're at now. The pace can be expected to accelerate now that we have a compliant mineral resource standards of this size. But to take projects from discovery to production is becoming increasingly difficult, which makes the definition of this resource today that much more valuable. We will follow up this phase one drill program and mineral resource estimate with an economic assessment of so-called preliminary economic assessment, which takes the copper resource, applies an estimated capex, the capital required to put it in production, the estimated operating cost and the revenue, and put that together in a concise study that should give a, a very good snapshot of what Santa Tomas would look like in production, a deposit that is capable of generating over a billion dollars of revenue for a generation. That study will contain things like the net present value of the future cash flows, net of the costs to put it in production, and it will give investors a snapshot of what the value of this is. But a mineral deposit with an in-situ metal value of $33 billion is going to be a very valuable asset. Adam, after all this time and 
and again, I'm going to bring the number up of 16 years, about as long as I've known you, I think 2006, which is a bit longer. Is it inconceivable to make the assumption on my part that within one or two years, maybe three, you're gone? You've been acquired. Mergers and acquisitions, the acquisition of copper assets by major mining companies has heated up in recent years. There is a bid on the table right now, a multi-billion dollar, tens of billions of dollar bid, in fact, by Glencore, a Swiss company for the Canadian company Tech. A BHP acquired Oz Minerals, Copper Mountain was acquired, HUD Bay made acquisitions recently. So a lot of the world's big mining companies have been on the hunt. They have, in recent quarters, acquired producing assets, those assets that are already in production. They carry relatively little risk. And they immediately add copper revenue to a big company's bottom line. A lot of those acquisitions now are reaching maturity. There's not a lot of those big assets left. The major mining companies are then going to be looking for the next tier of assets, the next stage of M&A, if you will. And that will look like the major mining companies buying so-called greenfield projects, projects that still have to be put in production. Obviously, that carries a little more risk for them. And so it usually what happens in the latter stages of an M&A cycle, we believe that Oroco, with the announcement of this resource, today puts it into the category of companies of assets that would be interesting to major mining companies. So yeah, I think M&A is a distinct possibility as we go forward here. Over the next 12 to 18 months, we'll certainly mature the studies at Santa Tomas, the economic studies. We'll do additional drilling to further de-risk the asset. We'll do additional community work and work with all levels of government to, again, further de-risk it. And at some point, the desire by major mining companies to buy copper assets and the maturity of Santa Tomas will presumably come together. And so that is what we're hoping for this asset. But at the same time, copper prices are forecast to go to such levels that owning these assets is only going to get better. They're only going to get more valuable if those forecasts come true. And as long as Oroco continues to advance and de-risk Santa Tomas, I believe that rising copper price, if it comes to pass, will make the assets more valuable and make Oroco a more valuable company. And what can we expect from the company during the next couple of quarters in 2023? Well, following the announcement of this mineral resource estimate, which has the company very encouraged and very fired up, ready to move forward. I think you'll see the advancement of the preliminary economic snapshot of Santa Tomas. There will be a second phase of drilling because the first phase has ended on some particularly good hole that, that really begs follow-up. That looks like they carry a probability of increasing the resource even more. And there's a number of small things that we will do that together add up to further de-risking of the project, such as acquisition, obtaining the surface rates, because to operate a mine, you need both the surface and the mineral rates. Increasing Oroco's 85.5% ownership in the property through additional expenditures and further studies beyond the preliminary economic assessment to further de-risk and define what an operation at Santa Tomas would look like. Adam, it's always great to catch up with you. I look forward to more chats in the very near future. Thanks so much for joining me today in the program. I really appreciate it as always, Al. I've been speaking with Adam Smith, co-founder and vice president of business development for Oroco Resource Corp. Oroco trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol OCO and in the U.S. on the OTCQB market under the ticker symbol ORRCF. Go to the company's website, orocoresourcecorp.com. For Adam Smith and Oroco Resource Corp., I'm Ellis Martin. Subscribe to the Ellis Martin newsletter. It's free. Go to ellismartinreport.com and fill out the quick and easy pop-up form. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for an interview with Bruce Durham, the CEO and director of York Harbor Metals, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol YORK and in the U.S. on the OTC is YORKF. 
York Harbor Metals is an exploration and development company focused on the York Harbor Copper Zinc Silver Project, a past producing mine located approximately 27 kilometers from Corner Brook, Newfoundland. The company has core drilled approximately 19,260 meters since July of 2021 to confirm and extend the footprint of the high-grade copper zinc mineralization within the main mine area. York Harbor plans to continue core drilling to test known volcanogenic massive sulfide targets within the expanded main mine area. Mr. Durham is a geologist with more than 40 years in the junior resource industry, including mandates in corporate management, project development, and exploration project management. Bruce, welcome back to the program. It's great to visit with you today. Thanks for inviting us, Alex. Great to be with you. You've got some really fantastic news with the phase four edition of your drilling program. You have some assays in. They came in just recently, I think, just a day or two ago. And they're significant in that you have discovered 1.292% copper through 44.93 meters and five meters of almost 3% copper. That's what I would call high grade. No, it's absolutely high grade. And you know, what we've found on the York Harbor property is it's one of these projects that ticks all the boxes. And now it's really down to, you know, how much tonnage is there there? And is there enough that we can make a mine out of it? I wouldn't say that I was surprised that we had some good intersections and certainly we've seen some of these high grade intersections before. So it's all part of the story and our job is to go see how much we can find. We'll be working on that. We're just kind of through another small phase of drilling and getting out, drilling a few more outside exploration targets on the project. As we speak here today, we're kind of getting ready to go off on another project. Well, I want to ask you about that project, but I do want to stress the fact that this part of Newfoundland, in fact, this area is no stranger to mining nor copper mining. Is it? Absolutely not. In fact, the project that we're working on, the York Harbor project, was first mined in the 1800s, if you can imagine, trying to mine underground in the 1800s with hand steel and no ventilation or anything. So this is a project that's been around a long time. I think we're giving it a better kick than anyone else has ever given it. And we're applying some new techniques, trying to identify some new areas of mineralization. As the snow recedes, we'll get back in there on the ground and try to find some more mineralization. We know that there are areas where we've found mineralized boulders that have presumably come down the hill and you know these are pretty substantial hills but they've ended up in the bottom of the valley and no one's actually sourced where they come from so we're going to give that another shot as well so this will indeed be a mine again someday maybe with not the same workings underground but some sort of iteration well we have to find a certain minimum tonnage you know, the government in Newfoundland is supportive and we know that the access to infrastructure, all of those things are excellent on this project. We don't see mineralogy or metallurgy ever being an issue. We know that this mineralization has been processed pretty reasonably before and we're working on some new metallurgy. So we're not worried about those things. The only thing that is left to be determined is how big it is and how we go about trying to maximize shareholder value with it. Well, that certainly sounds exciting. Now tell me something. I noticed on your website as I was perusing it that you acquired a critical minerals project, rare earths, if you will. I know zero about it, so I'm hoping you will enlighten us today. This opportunity came to us through some people I know who work in the western part of Newfoundland. Again, really good, solid, salt-of-the-earth prospectors. And they'd put this project together as a uranium project quite some time ago. And as they were working through trying to find uranium on the project, they found out that there were actually some very, very high-grade rare earth element numbers in there. And just in case listeners don't know much about rare earths, they've become, I think we're ahead of the curve a bit on this one. 
so rare earths are 90 something percent are actually processed and produced in China. And most of the mining of the world's rare earths are done in China. And so China every now and then has threatened to stop supplying rare earths to the rest of the world. It's become a big issue. And at this point in time, governments are really starting to notice that they have to do something about it. If we're going to electrify the world, we need a lot more copper. We need a lot more nickel and we need a lot more rare earths because rare earths, a couple of them specifically go into making permanent magnets so that you need these really strong magnets for everything from wind turbines to electric motors for electric vehicles. And so China's really threatening. And again, this week, there was an article that China's threatening to cut off the world's access to these rare earths. I think we're ahead of the curve. I mean, really, China's like the OPEC of rare earths. They control basically everything. Governments are now starting to put money and emphasis on trying to get away from China. This is a project that we took on in the western part of Newfoundland again. It's got great infrastructure. It's just like the York Harbor project. It's about 27 kilometers to an existing port. Loading facilities are there. There are two power lines that cross the property. The Trans-Canada Highway crosses the property. And here we have a rare earth project with extremely high grades. We've had rare earth assays up to 20% on this project and no one's really followed through on it. It was seen as a uranium project first, then a couple of companies, one company used that as a listing property. And then the bottom fell out of the market in 2008. And it's just been kind of bumped around with these prospectors. We've got our hands on it. We own hundred percent of it. We don't think the geology is very well understood. We think there's just huge potential in this project. How long does it take a project like that potentially, given the fantastic infrastructure that you just outlined to become a mine? Is it two years, three years, five years, any kind of timeline? Well, you know, the average these days, Ellis, is probably between 15 and 20 years. It's really grown. I was involved in the early days of finding two of the three deposits in Hemlo. So on one of the projects, the company Noranda that took over the one project had a mandate that they had to have the mine in production in two years. And we also permitted an operation in the northern tip of Quebec in around 2007. And we did that so that the mine would go into production in about three years. So as much as people talk about the average being extremely long, I think there are ways to get these projects in production faster if you work with the government and you work with the local First Nations and you actually do your job properly right from the beginning. So one of the things that you need to do is have those discussions with the government and you have to get in and do some water sampling and you have to have a plan. I think in the case of this one, maybe we could be shipping concentrate in three to five years if we get in there and get lucky and find something you know, good and high grade. I think there's real potential to push the limits on it. And there's no reason to think that the government wouldn't be in Newfoundland especially helpful in that area. I mean, Newfoundland has got a long mining history. I mean, there are mines all over Newfoundland and certainly when people tried to put things into production like Boise's Bay without First Nation support and whatnot, they ran into problems. But the government of Newfoundland has been quite supportive and I think all of the provinces in Canada have, have made it public that they want to shorten the timelines to production because they understand that all of these critical elements, everything from copper to rare earths, need to be put in production faster as we're going to electrify the world. There's going to be a severe shortage of all of these critical elements going forward. Well, I know pretty much anything that moves and is related to electricity must have a magnet in it, period, and copper. Absolutely. One of the big consumers is actually wind turbines. So, you know, when you build a hydroelectric generating facility, you don't have the same requirement for rare earths that you do if you build windmills. But windmills by themselves, I think if the number is something on the order, and it depends on the size of the windmill itself, but it's half a ton or more of rare earths. So these rare earths are going to be in huge demand going forward. What are we going to see from York Harbor during the next few weeks, if not months? We've got crews lined up, our accommodations are booked, everybody's sitting on hold just waiting for the snow to disappear in Newfoundland. So I would say in the first couple of weeks of May, we'll have guys on the ground. We'll be getting 
getting back into some of the areas that were lightly explored and expanding on that. We've also been compiling data and looking at what we have in the way of geophysical data that might get us into new discoveries quickly. The prospectors who had this project actually went in last year and started doing some follow-up work. They had been focused on magnetic phis, and that's where they thought the mineralization was focused. So when they started working outside of the magnetic highs, they found more mineralization, some of it extremely high grade. So we're really excited to just get in there with boots on the ground and get as many rock samples as we can get and get them to the lab and find out what we've got. And we've got a drill lined up. We've got a contract all done. We're ready to go on this one. So as fast as we can get data, we'll be pushing the envelope on this. Well, Bruce, I appreciate your exuberance. It sounds very exciting. I look forward to our next get together. Thanks so much for joining me today in the program. Thanks a lot, Alice. And we'll talk to you soon when we have some more results. I've been speaking with Bruce Durham, the CEO and director of York Harbor Metals, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol YORK and in the U.S. on the OTC as YORKF. Find them on the web at yorkharbormetals.com. Subscribe to the Ellis Martin Report at ellismartinreport.com. Join us next time for more opportunities to discover on the Ellis Martin Report.